This is Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. Make sure you check out the YouTube page as well. Subscribe, click all the buttons, the notifications, all that good stuff. Aaron, of course, live from her new studio, the Cast Collective on Music Row in Nashville. So make sure you check that out, of course. Um, we are going to talk about coordinators today, new coordinators in the SEC. We've mentioned all of these names, but we haven't really had any time to sort of like dive into whether or not we think they're upgrades or mm-hmm. not, whether whether we like the moves or not for some of these teams. So we're going to talk about the the nine new coordinator positions in the SEC. We're going to look we're going to look at the quarterback class for next year, which is already being talked about as one of the best draft classes in the history of college football. I'm sure yep. none of that. I'm sure none of that will change, Aaron, between now and this time <laughs> next year. Couldn't. <laughs> right, and uh, obviously some stats on the draft from this past weekend. Uh, SEC, SEC, SEC. So uh, lots of stuff to do. Seth Emerson going to join us as well for our Georgia State of the Union from The Athletic. Uh, had about 20 plus minutes with him. Just a fascinating conversation. One of the best beat writers in the business covering all things Georgia and a lot of like why Georgia is working so well right now and is not as crazy as everyone else in the conference. <laughs> so uh, a lot of good, a lot of good lightning. Yeah, like it's just that you've been to Athens before. It's just a chill place. And I feel like that chillness sort of runs through everything Georgia and it keeps everything like not insane. I think they're always chill. Well, that's part of the part of what I asked him was if they keep doing this and they keep winning this much, like, are they going to turn into like the crazy batshit LSU, Alabama, Tennessee people? And, and he had an interesting answer. So you have to tune in later to find out what he said about that. So how about Ooh. that? Yeah. That's what they call a tease in the business, Aaron. <laughs> um, uh, and we'll talk about the draft, of course. So before we do that, um, Fringe Element is brought to you by who? It's brought to you by Jasper's. Holding it together way better than I am right now. <laughs> Aaron's been to four doctors today. No, just Dude, just life kidding. is hard. I mean, not four. Shit's hard. You know, yeah, starting know. your own business is hard. I'm exhausted, but this is normally a good release well, during the week. We we hope everyone's enjoying the, the show and the product. Again, you can watch it all on, on YouTube and uh, obviously, rate, review, subscribe. But go to Jasper's, of course. If you're in Nashville, make sure you check out Jasper's on West End. They've got a game room with air hockey, uh, skee ball, pop a shot, darts, Jenga, like everything you could possibly imagine. All of it's free. It's a fantastic place. And if you're not in Nashville and you're listening all over the place, we know we're huge in Texas, Aaron. Did you know you're big in Texas? Did you know that? Everything's bigger in Texas. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm taking cheap shots today. That's all fine. I can do. Um, there are locations, 13 of them from Four Top Hospitality, all across the Southeast, including Memphis and Huntsville and Mississippi and Alabama. And so uh, make sure you check out one of those great restaurants it's linked in the show notes. So make sure you check out Four Top Hospitality. But if you're in Nashville, make sure you go to Jasper's. It's, it's the best place to watch the draft where we were last weekend. Great place to watch NBA, NHL playoffs, all that great stuff. So, yep. Um, all the things. Yep. Go to Jasper's. Okay. Um, 15 Georgia players Aaron drafted. We talked about this last week. Do we think they could break the record? They did. They broke the record. They beat LSU from 2020's draft class and Ohio State from 2004's draft class. The record was 14. Uh, They drafted 15 players got drafted. I thought this was interesting. Both all three of those records because Ohio State won the national title in 02. LSU Mm -hmm. won the national title in 19. And this team just won the national title as well. All three of those records, obviously coming off teams that won the national championship. This is earth shattering stuff, Aaron. Great, (laughs) great teams have great players. Makes too much sense. Yeah. And it was, Georgia was, I like seeing this many defensive guys 
um, you know, kind of get their moment. It's just fun. A lot of times like that, it's not always the case, especially to have that many from one school. And um, obviously, again, like you said, makes sense with what Georgia was able to do on both sides of the ball, but especially on defense to have five guys um, go. And then Trayvon Walker just specifically is kind of in and of himself a Cinderella story. Just, um, you know, one of, I think I heard that he was the very first player to go in the first round since like the sixties that hadn't been on an all conference or all American team in college. And then he didn't even play for his first two years. So, so I love a good Cinderella story amongst the rest of the, the there's, draft. There's some talent evaluators that might tell you that Jacksonville just didn't make a good decision <laughs> with, with, with Trayvon Walker, but no, he, he obviously the talent is, is off the charts. Uh, interesting that Nicobe Dean, who I would argue like is the most proven of all the proven commodities fell, I think, until like the mid-third round. But five defensive players in the first round for Georgia, which was a record, which is insane. It is. And they're, they're, Jalen Carter is probably going to be a potential number one overall pick next year. And they got another couple guys. You, you could have seven or eight or nine starters off the national championship defense be drafted into the NFL, which, again, speaks to how well Kirby Smart has done recruiting. Again, not exactly earth-shattering stuff here. To you, does that speak about the how the draft has evolved? Was it always this way? Do you think people, defensive guys were always valued this high in the draft or does it seeing trends? Like we know they're always important. There's no question about that, but just in terms of how high they're going, have I, you seen that we trend in that direction? I, I think edge rushers yeah. have always been viewed as a premium position because it's the only player that can stop a quarterback on his own, right? Correct, yeah. Um, I think that's always been there. To your point though, I think cornerback has become a more premium position I agree. in, in every sport. Like, like I, again, this is when Nick Saban kind of changed his defensive player. Right. And he kind of stopped recruiting like the 350 pound middle linebacker and the 330 pound, 250 pound middle linebacker, 330 pound defensive nose guard or whatever. And he started going more versatilely and more and smaller. And I think we're seeing corners fly up the boards, but middle linebackers and safeties, they still don't get drafted. I mean, Nicobe Dean fell down the board. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I just, I don't like I th- my question. Yeah. I think wide receiver and corner, because again, everything in the world in football right now is geared towards the passing game, mm-hmm. like every rule, everything. So um, it'll be interesting to see how many players from Georgia's national championship team eventually get drafted because Bama had another seven. And so that means they had six, a record, six first round picks last year, no record number for first round. And then they had seven more this year. So you're already looking at, I think they had four, they had 13 or 14 last year drafted or 12, something like that. So they're already up to like 19 players off of the national championship team from 2020. Well, and then off of a single team, it's like 40. If you look at their roster in 2017 or 18, you add them all up. The 17 national championship team that beat, or was it 18 that beat beat Georgia in the national championship game? 17. Uh, yeah, because 18 would have been Clemson and Trevor Lawrence. You're right. There were 1.40 guys that were yeah. on the same roster that have now been drafted, which is unbelievable. I, I, Only team I, beat out ahead. Miami 2001. I was going to say Miami 01 has got to be the, the most talented that I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, it's I, I would assume Georgia is going to be in that territory. Like they're going to yeah. be like they have three tight ends that are going to get drafted. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty insane. It's nuts. 16th straight year. 
um, that the SEC won the draft, quote unquote. I'm not sure that's ever going to change, actually, now that they've kind of taken control of that. 65 players. The next best was the Big Ten with 48 players. That ties the record from last year set by the SEC. 34 of the 105 players taken in the first three rounds. So the best players, 34 of them uh, were from the SEC. Alabama had seven. LSU had 10. But what's interesting is if you look at where they went like all of Alabama's players went in the first three rounds and almost all of LSU's players came in like the last on Saturday. So, so it tells you even within the two teams in the same division that there's a, there's a gap there. Right. Yeah. And then also the, just the, it's interesting to me to look at just how quickly things fall off. Like, I mean, especially with Georgia, I mean, you go from 15 to 10, that's a pretty steep yep. Yep. drop off, but then you're quickly down I mean, I guess there is, it does kind of like taper off, but if you look at the difference between like Texas A&M had four and Georgia had 15, Texas A&M is only number five on the list from the SEC. So in five spots, you go from 15 to four. It's pretty wild. Yeah, uh, Ole Miss with six and Tennessee with five. Good job, both Ole Miss and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. A&M with four. You mentioned Kentucky with four. Florida, Arkansas, South Carolina with three each. Mississippi State and Missouri with two. Auburn with one, a guy who came to Nashville, Roger McCreary, of course, the cornerback in the second-round pick, who's a really good player. And congratulations to your alma mater, the only school in the SEC that did not have a player drafted, the Vanderbilt Commodores. Add congratulations, Aaron. Thank you. I Take needed that today. Thank you for the pick-me-up. <laughs> you know me. Um, to be fair, future SEC power – the Texas Longhorns also had the same number of players drafted as Vanderbilt. So Vanderbilt, you are equally as talented as Texas. Uh, would once have sounded better than it does now, knowing what we know. <laughs> it doesn't um, help, but I appreciate you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't believe Texas didn't have anybody. First time since 2014, they didn't have a player drafted. So yep. we talked about this last week. Texas is uh, going to have to up its game. Not a great if look. It wants to jump into the, yeah into the into the draft ranks. You know what's interesting about the quarterback situation, and we saw all these guys fall. Matt Corral from the SEC, Malik Willis, a former SEC quarterback at Auburn, now here in Nashville at Tennessee, he falls. Uh, all these quarterbacks completely fell out of like not one of them drafted until the third round, other than Kenny Pickett. And a lot of teams, I think, are looking at next year's crop. And we've talked about this before that the SEC ranks, as far as quarterbacks go, could be the best we've ever seen. And I started looking at all these, I I was guilty, Aaron, of looking at like these way, way, way too early mocks and rankings for prospects because I'm just an idiot who can't say no to the clicking. And (laughs) I I started looking at this and I'm going, all right, everyone thinks CJ Stroud is a step ahead of Bryce Young. And I thought we could look at some of the quarterbacks for next year. And I want you to tell me if you're buying or selling these guys being first round draft picks, because I I think it's going to be a phenomenal year for quarterback play in the conference. Yep. But I'm not sure I'm buying seven quarterbacks going in the first round next year. Mm, it'd be tough. It'd that, be seems tough. Like, that seems like a high number. So you're just going to give me one? I'm telling you if they'll go first round or not? Well, let me give you a couple of names just to remember, just to know from around the country. So I'll give you okay. a few names. Like C.J. Stroud from Ohio State is probably the number one quarterback next to Bryce Young. I think that's going to be a heated battle all year. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil Dracovich at Boston College. Grayson McCall at Coastal Carolina. Keaton Slovis at Pittsburgh. Uh, Jake Hayner at Fresno State. Tyler Van Dyke, I think, has got a chance to go in the first round from Miami. Like, it's just a great year for quarterbacks across the country. Bo Nix actually is at Oregon. Is I've seen him listed as a, a draftable prospect, which really? is crazy. Um, so the, the list goes on and on. Tanner McKee at Stanford. Um, a lot of ACC quarterbacks. Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma. But a lot of these guys are SEC guys. I've seen five or six names linked to potential first-round grades in the SEC. And I'm not sure I'm buying it. So... I think we can start with Bryce Young and just say, look, 
Bryce Young is going to go in the first round. Yeah. Are, are we buying him as a first round talent? 100%. Yes. You can't yeah. teach what he can do. He's off the charts. Just yes, absolutely. After scientifically culling the internet and scraping every corner of the web to compile a very scientific data set, mm-hmm. largely Spencer Rattler is viewed as the number two most draftable quarterback in the SEC in 2022. Are you buying Spencer Rattler as a first round draft pick? No, I wouldn't. Not with everybody else that's coming up. I mean, I guess if I, I don't see it happening. Do you? No. <laughs> Josh Kendall last week on the show was like, I don't know why people think he's going to be better at South Carolina than he was at Oklahoma. And I, I think he's good. I think he's an upgrade on what they had last year. I think that will get better quarterback play. And I think he's a good player, but I look at the defenses they're going to play. Look at the system he's running. Like, I just don't, I just look at his product, production at Oklahoma. Like I'm not, I just, I'm not believing or buying in the Spencer Rattler love. I don't get it. I mean, it's a good storyline. Like it'll be, he'll be fun to watch. I think it'll be exciting for South Carolina to have him. Like I'm not trying to suck the wind out of that, but it's NFL teams are businesses above everything else. And they run on like, I mean, they're more scientific than we're being right now, for sure. In terms of what these guys are going to be able to do It is a shit ton of money to shit ton of money to spend on somebody that you just don't have the data to back it up. I mean, he could blow it out of the water this year at South Carolina and I guess maybe do better than I picture at this moment that what I think he's going to do in the draft. But I think there's other people in my mind that are more uh, would be more dependable if we had to guess right now. And it's not like I'm rooting against him. I want to see no. part of the thing that we like you and I on this show about some of the new rules is the idea that transferring from a place like Oklahoma to South Carolina adds equity to the sport. That like we're rooting for that to work in this yes. situation. At least I am, right? I mean, I don't yeah. know, assuming you are. So I, I just don't see first round like he's gonna have to have a great year and pull some upsets for that to happen. So yeah. All right, I've seen I've seen Anthony Richardson at Florida, who's not even technically the starter, but he probably is gonna be the starter at Florida. Mentioned in the first round, buying or selling Anthony Richardson as a first round draft pick. I'm teeters on the line for me, but I could see it happening. I'll let you take this one. Well, I'm, you know me, I'm president. You're of more the passionate. Anthony, I, I am president of the Anthony Richardson fan club. I mean, I don't know, like maybe on paper, I don't have as much of a reason to be able to say this. And I'm sure you've broken down the stats a lot more than I have. Cause you are such a uh, Anthony Richardson in the Anthony Richardson fan club. Damn. I can't talk today, You're okay. but just with his size, he's six, four, he's like almost 240 pounds. I mean, I think that it would help him to, going to have to show a little bit more consistency in terms of completion and just you know what he's able to do on the field uh good versus you know efficiency versus mistakes but to me i see him more with the the physicality and uh long-term ability to be able to be successful in the nfl than i do spencer rattler yeah i the upside for richardson to me is off the charts like i think it was a mistake for dan mullen to start him in the georgia game and then he threw the pick six, which I think was N'Kobe Dean, <laughs> I think. Um, but, like, you look at a guy that averaged eight or nine yards per play, rushing or passing. For, yeah, that's the thing. He can run, a, too. As a backup. Like, the guy was running away from people. And he got hurt exactly like we predicted last year in the Georgia game, I think, and then wasn't really healthy the rest of the way. He has to have a great year for it to work and for it to happen. But I think he's got first-round talent written all over him. I don't, I don't know if he's coming out after one full season as a starter, though. So that's... That's an interesting question. Well, just think about what the 
his ability when he has an always healthy and pretty much consistently efficient offensive line around him, what he would be able to do. Well, and we'll see what Napier can put around him um, mm-hmm. from a coaching standpoint. Um, I'll have about, a better shot this year for sure. Yeah. How about Hendon Hooker, also a transfer, also a guy that made Tennessee and the transfer that he, the team that he transferred to instantaneously better joined with Josh Heupel, clearly worked in that system. One of the most efficient players in all of college football. First round, buying or selling Hendon Hooker? No, selling. Okay. All right. Why? That's a good question. Because <laughs> his stat, his stats are, I mean, it's really good. His, you know, he only threw three interceptions. He had 31 touchdowns. I mean, it's not like, it's not like he's not a great player, but I just for some reason, there's some factor there that I just don't see translating as well to the NFL or not to the first round. What do you think? So it's funny that you say, I'm not sure how to describe it because Hendon Hooker is a very good, he had a very good season last year, very good season. And he's a really good player there. I just am not sure I've ever seen anything from Hendon Hooker that tells me NFL. Like it just doesn't like the offense. Is it just he runs. like the it factor? There's just something. It's like an intangible thing, or maybe I'm just not good at verbalizing it. But I just. Well, you you are having problems with words today, so maybe that's what it, <laughs> you know what? No, it's not. That's so it's not, not untrue. <laughs> it's not like I don't not trust his intangibles. Like I think he's a good. I think he's a mature leader with a good quality. Like I think he's a good head on his shoulders. He's bought into the culture that Josh Heupel selling. Like I think he's actually good at all that stuff. It's like the going through an NFL progression set of reads and then delivering throws into tiny windows in, into every corner of the field. Like, I'm just not sure I've seen him do that ever. Not at Virginia tech or Tennessee. Can he run Josh Heupel's offense really, really efficiently? Yes. Does he take too many big hits to run like that in the NFL? Probably. I, I just don't. Yeah. S- I think hard, you're right. It's hard to verbalize. He working, he's working inside a system that works with him, but unlike Bryce Young, I don't think he's going to be able to just create magic out of nowhere, like be able to turn something that looks a hopeless play, uh, you know, escaping, you know, sacks and tackles like some of these other guys are. I mean, I just, there, there's a difference. And if you just keep pairing everyone to Bryce Young, maybe that's not fair, but Bryce Young is what a first round NFL quarterback looks like i mean very very tip top not saying you have to be that right. good but there's a difference i i to me i see rattler as like a second round pick i see hendon hooker as like a third round pick maybe maybe lower i see richardson as like a late first early second round pick agree with that um how about will levis i've seen will levis who was a big time player at penn state from a recruit standpoint so mm-hmm. I, I think his pedigree and NFL scouts are going to see that he does a lot more than the running that he does for Kentucky. And, and, and because the, and this, we'll talk about the coordinator in a little while because they changed coordinators at Kentucky. And that's going to be a huge deciding factor on both Will Levis and the Wildcats of 2022 is their new coordinator. Um, I, I think I've seen the talent with Will Levis, but I'm not sure I've seen him play like an NFL quarterback ever, at least. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't tell if you were done with that sentence or not. I, I wasn't sure if I was done with that sentence or not. The, so I think we're going to see Kentucky's just continuing to get better. So I don't, I think we will see, you know, improvement from, from him no matter what, but right now the ratio, even though what he's able to do on his feet, you know, is a great thing. But like you said, the NFL is a largely a, 
game that's played in the air. So, you know, his, the touchdowns to interceptions ratio is not great. He threw 24 touchdowns and 13 interceptions, and you're just going to have to cut down on the mistakes that are being made. And obviously there's a lot of factors that go into that that don't only fall on him, but um, the game, that game film is going to have to look better. He's going to have to show better numbers this year. If, if, um, if he's hoping to have a long be picked at a high spot in the next year's draft. I'm buying that his NFL stock will be better than his like college view. It's sort of like the opposite of Hendon hooker. Like Like he'll look okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see Hendon Hooker with like all these all these efficiency metrics, top five in the nation, top five this, top three this, and all this efficiency stuff. But I'm not sure the scouts for NFL teams are going to sit there and see a professional quarterback. Whereas with Levis, you're not going to see all the stats and all the efficiency. He's going to be good. And then the scouts are going to watch him take a seven step drop and fire a football and go, oh, that's a professional athlete. Like, I think it could they could actually be inverted to some degree. I don't that's think that's an either. interesting theory. And I think it sounds right. So I would put, I would say Levis is, I'm not, I'm not buying him as a first round pick at all. So, no, but I think he's got, I think he's got more upside than people realize. Yeah. Um, and do you think he has more upside than Hendon Hooker? Oh, I think the NFL scouts will see more NFL traits in Will Levis. How do you think Will Levis works in, like we were just talking about with pass, passing efficiency? How do you think that that translates? Because we know what his game on the ground looks like, but. I, I, again, I think the traits are going to be seen by scouts as being capable. Yeah. And we're not going to have known. Now, the other thing is he's playing in an NFL system. Like, so Liam Combe last year was from the Rams. Now he's going to have Rick Scangarello, who's going to be, he's from the Kyle Shanahan tree from the 49ers, the quarterback's coach for the Niners. And he, so he, the, uh, the reason they hired him was to maintain some continuity. And so I could see him developing. And again, Mm-hmm. knowledge of an NFL system and the experience of an NFL system, I think will help him in the evaluation process. I don't know if I'm buying either one of them as a starting quarterback in the NFL, honestly. So I, I think Bryce Young is going to be great. I think Anthony Richardson has a chance to be great. And what's interesting is Jaden Daniels at LSU, Will Rogers at Mississippi state and KJ Jefferson at Arkansas. None of these three are getting much love at all. J- Daniels is going to have to sort of recreate his career magic from his freshman year at Arizona state. <laughs> to like kind of re-cement himself as a candidate. Um, But Rodgers and Jefferson both, I think, have a chance to be drafted. I think they're both good enough to be drafted. They have, I think Rodgers has enough skill. I think Jefferson's got enough talent. I think I could see Will Rodgers fitting into an NFL system and kind of, you know, coming into himself a little bit later than some of these other guys that we just mentioned, but I could see that working. And and honestly- And talk about a passing, having- you know, working in a passing environment with Mississippi State and Mike Leach's offense, like that would be, you know, good prep. I know you're talking about Kentucky having a system with the coaching staff that lends itself well to NFL playing style, yeah. but at least Will Rogers will have all the experience he needs with, you know, his game in the air. I'll tell you what, I will buy KJ Jefferson elevating his stock into potential high round grading by the NFL at Arkansas. Because if he develops this year, like there are a lot of Cam Newton qualities to his game, mm-hmm. which is pr- a pretty rare set of skills. In fact, I think Anthony Richardson is the same thing. I think both of them, if they have really great seasons this year, they could show people that they have that like rare combination of size, athleticism, leadership, arm, talent, all that stuff. So I would actually buy Jefferson as like a buy low candidate. Rogers, I think, kind of is what he is. 
And that could be good enough to play in the NFL. But I don't know if I don't know if he's got the arm, but I think Jefferson's got that upside. He's a Liam Neeson. You said I have a very rare set of skills. (laughs) Did I do I need to say it like this with with a voice like this? Is that the right? Did I mess up that? Which one is Liam Neeson? Which one is Taken? I have a very rare set of skills. I think that's Liam Neeson. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely Liam Neeson. I was just wondering if I was messing up quote. I have a very rare set of skills. He's always has that like monotone, like gravelly voice that like never changes. It's oh yeah. He's a tremendous actor, that Liam Neeson. <laughs> I have a very or a very particular set of skills. I knew uh, someone's gonna come at me if I mess this up. You're okay. close, man. You're close. What's interesting about the SEC is there are like five stars everywhere that are like freshmen that I think are gonna be really high level draft picks, honestly. Like you got Connor Weigman, you got uh, at, at A&M, right? You got uh, mm-hmm. the, the kid coming into LSU. You got Vandergriff at Georgia. You got all these recruits. You got Nico coming into Tennessee next What's year. What's LSU think, kid's name? Uh, get, uh, why am I drawing a blank? On I the, am too. That's why I asked you. He's got a five-star. He's a five-star freshman. I didn't say his name on purpose, Aaron, because I couldn't remember it. Thank Sorry. you. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that. So I'm like, uh, normally maybe I would have picked up on that, but you, my brain is just shot. Um, all right. so. Speaking of sort of development and these guys, so we're buying Bryce Young. We're buying, maybe buying Anthony Richardson. We're not I'm really... buying Anthony Richardson. I okay. can buy it. Okay. I can dig I'll, it. I will buy KJ Jefferson low and see what happens. I'm not buying the rest of these guys being first round picks, but I'm buying them all being great college quarterbacks. And I think it's going to be a great year for that position in the conference. So uh, we'll leave it. We'll leave the conversation there. Now, as far as new coordinators go in the conference, Seth Emerson from Georgia, uh, covering the Georgia Bulldogs for the athletic, going to give us a state of the union for Georgia coming up in a little bit. Um, I, I, I did not count LSU or Florida in this conversation. I think it's interesting that, that Billy Napier decided to keep two guys that he coached with for a long period of time at Louisiana and kind of just bring them with him. One of them went to the giants and, and, and Rob sale brought him back. But I think, you know, Mike Denbrock and, and Matt house for LSU, Brian Kelly sort of had a different strategy. He went out and got guys that are more established sort of at different, different positions. Yep. Um, so different strategies there, but I'm not really counting them as new coordinators. I don't, to me, when you come in as a new staff, that's not a coordinator change in my opinion. I'm with you. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So the, the big one for me that matters the most, the two, and I think, you know, there's a philosophy here, Aaron, where we trust the side of the ball that the coach is on better. I think that or more might, again for them to t- hire someone underneath them with the same yeah. Yeah. expertise. Yeah. So like, I don't, I don't, I'm not concerned about Dan Lanning leaving Georgia because Kirby smart is going to run the defense. Right. I'm not as worried about Lane Kiffin replacing Jeff Levy. The offensive coordinator goes to Oklahoma because Lane Kiffin runs the offense. Mm-hmm. Although the hire of Charlie West jr. We'll get to that in a second. I think the biggest one is Mike Elko leaving Texas A&M two plus million dollar guy, the head coach at Duke now. They go and hire DJ Durkin, which is a really good hire. And I recommend listening to Billy Lucci's interview a couple of weeks ago. He kind of explained the difference philosophically. They'll be more aggressive early in games with with DJ Durkin. But Durkin has a checkered pass, but a pretty good coordinator. So he's going to have to do work on that Texas A&M defense. If if they can, they got a chance to contend with Bama. I mean, in his second, just the second season at Ole Miss, I mean, he definitely turned – you know, their program around on that side of the ball helped. I mean, their offense was part of it too. Always, It's obviously more than one thing, but it's, you know, taking them to helping pave the way for, to get them to their first 10 win season is not nothing. And he's also been a head coach before, which I would venture to say 
having had all those responsibilities as a head coach and what that looks like, because he coached at Maryland, and then being able to retreat and just do the thing that you're the best at, even though that's what not necessarily what all coaches want. Sometimes coaches leave because they're forced out of a head coaching position, or you know, that's normally why. But well, it, and, and his and his departure from Maryland was tragic, obviously, with the death of a player and everything. Like, yeah, was, go, there go, was so many factors yeah. in that, yeah, that were just not completely outside the norm. But when you're able, I think it's not only from a appreciation level, but just going from all these responsibilities to being able to hone back in on exactly what you're best at. It's good to have that perspective, but I I could, I think it's going to work. We have evidence that he's good at what he does and he just did it at Ole Miss, just did it in the SEC. So and I think this is a sign that A&M has the, the staying power now that like we can lose a two and a half million dollar a year coordinator, one of the highest paid guys in the entire world. And go like take the guy from from Ole Miss that clearly did really good work for Ole Miss, right? I mean, you're like, buying I, in. Yeah, they have what they need to get people there, the facilities yeah. and staff, and Power people play. like Jimbo and Twerking. yeah. And I th- and I again, I think the complaint on Elko is like things were kind of they came out of the gate a little bit slow sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there again, Lucci talked about this on a previous episode that he thinks that there's going to be um, a, a more concerted effort to sort of change scheme game by game by game to attack at the beginning of a game. And then, you know, we saw Mike Elko make great adjustments. And if Durkin can do that, but also package together sort of some aggressiveness out of the front, like the front's probably not going to change too much, but should be very interesting. I got um, a question about for you. And I know you're trying to get through these, but no, go for it. in terms of the, how much more important do you think that is for an SEC West team with their level of competition, to be able to come out of the gate early, not trail. I mean, and you probably- almost have to give these teams that like, you know, like Alabama and some of these other great teams in the West, you, you almost have to make them a little bit nervous to even have a chance. Yeah. And you have to have the personnel that AM's got on the front mm-hmm. seven for sure, which they do. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think, and Seth talked about this a little bit too. Like part of the reason Georgia has sustainability is because the East, the East doesn't yeah. have the same top end talent like LSU and AM or even Auburn when they're good. And they also don't have the same quality and depth that they've got with Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss right now. Like it's just mm-hmm. the West is on another planet right now. Like, That's true. Um, which is again, why I'm not worried about Dan Lanning. Who's another one that left. He's now the head coach at Oregon from Georgia. They, they hired Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann. I'll let Seth describe this a little bit, but they're playing it coy with who's going to actually call plays. I, the other thing that I noticed about this, that six of these nine positions were filled with promotions. And I I just (laughs) like, that just doesn't feel, I know that like there's continuity and stability and all this stuff that coaches want and familiarity, but like, you know, there's a reason that like Texas A&M went and stole Ole Miss's coordinator. You know, like there's a reason that Oregon stole Georgia's coordinator. Like go out and hire a guy that's like a dude. I, I just, the promotion from within, I don't feel like is, that doesn't, that's not sexy. It doesn't get me going. Well, it's, it's just kind of the difference between are you, if what you're doing is already working perfectly you just need to do it better that's one thing it's almost never the case though but then just the the utilization and addition of other knowledge outside of your own is almost always helps yeah um Um, we'll get to as long as people get get along the only the other only other big one because we'll get to auburn and vandy which i think are in different situations right Ole miss as well but kentucky because again Ole miss has to replace durkin Kentucky replacing Liam Cohn. I think Cohn did a great job in his in his one time one year in Kentucky, and they bring in a Kyle Shanahan protege, who I would argue is from a schematic standpoint. I, I would argue I would the 49ers rushing attack is possibly the most entertaining rushing attack I've I've seen in football today. 
So if he's going to bring some of that with some pro style passing stuff, because he was the quarterback's coach under the Shanahan tree, I, I love the idea of putting all that stuff together with Will Levis. We'll, we'll see if it works, but I love the idea. What do you think is, um, what do you think is the, it's always interesting to me to like see these moves from NFL to college and back and like what it really takes. I mean, I know the real answer is money, but you know what it really takes to get these guys to leave professional and come back to college. Well, it's not, a, some of it's like lifestyle. Cause I think Matt house, the DC at, at LSU came back from Kansas city back to the college ranks. And he was all about like, I want my kids to be around the facility and like to, for, to be, to be more of a familial definitely is enterprise but like also he like but if you're worried about spending time with your kids like you don't come back to college to recruit like you're gonna work way more hours and be on the road a lot more like i don't know like yeah it's not yeah that was still gonna be pretty time consuming right that was an interesting quote i thought from from him on that um but yeah i think kentucky's the big one and i think texas a&m defense is the other one and then ole miss on defense replacing durkin i think is interesting because you're doing it with Chris Kiffin, who is your brother, and Chris Partridge. Again, Chris Kiffin was on the Browns defensive line coach. And then Chris Partridge, who was elevated from Ole Miss safeties. Like I to me, this screams, and they got some players drafted too, like Matt Corral's gone. To me, this screams like step back for Ole Miss on defense. There's some patriarchy going on there. No, patriarchy? Yeah, I think that's right, but I don't I just I just think you lost a really good coordinator and some good players. I I don't think you're just going to replace that right away. That's And Ole Miss has how many positions changing? They've got a lot of moving parts going on. Yes. The two that you just named. And on offense. Yeah, Jeff Levy. And Charlie Weiss. Yeah, Charlie Weiss on offense, who is 28 years old, which is insane. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, We'll get to the offense in a second. I I think the defense for Ole Miss is the area area of concern. I I don't think this is – you hire your brother and you elevate another member of your staff to replace a guy that's clearly good enough to be at AM. I don't know. And a head coach in the Big Ten. I, I, that's what I'm concerned about Ole Miss's coaching staff on defense. That that would be my number one issue. Yeah. I mean, the he, Kiffin's working well in that program. They The guys love him. Like, the fans love him. I mean, he throws things in the air every now and then. But overall, it seems <laughs> to be doing stuff that's working. But I agree with you that it's kind of hard to justify um, – the brother into that position on the, on the offensive side of the ball, you know, Charlie Weiss jr. Is interesting. Cause he's got a pedigree and he knows Lane Kiffin. He was his offensive coordinator at FAU. He, they worked together at Alabama. He was one of those gazillion, you know, intern slash graduate mm-hmm. assistant analysts for Alabama. Um, and I find this fascinating as a practice in college football and the NFL too, where they just like hire their buddies or in Kiffin's case, his brother, like Charlie Weiss jr. Got the job because of his relationship with Lane Kiffin. His off, he was the offensive coordinator at South Florida the last two years. They averaged like 23 points a game. That's not good in college football. So it's not like the data indicates he deserves to be the, the, the coordinator. I'm also not as worried because it's Lane Kiffin, right? Like it's his offense. <laughs> but this one, you're sort of hiring on potential, especially for, like you said, a 28-year-old. There must have been something. I mean, there's obviously something that Lane sees that, you know, you can't really see on paper, but. You know, he grew up, I mean, his family with his dad coaching at Notre Dame. So he kind I have a feeling he probably has instincts that we don't always, 
we haven't gotten to see that Lane can see because they're, you know, they're sitting there at a whiteboard, like drawing things up together and right, at Alabama right. and stuff. So there must've been factors that Lane thought got in the way that weren't really his mind. This kid must be, I mean, Charlie must be super, super just creative and have some kind of mind that we haven't gotten to see because we weren't in the room. Also, uh, does he want to start his own rehab clinic? <laughs> He's got DJ Dur- maybe D- DJ Durkin, right? And <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, maybe he just thinks he can bring bring guys along. Um, Auburn and George- Auburn and Vanderbilt are fascinating. We'll kind of wrap up this conversation here. We'll get to Seth Emerson, but I, Vanderbilt and Auburn, Brian Harson, Clark Lee, both changed both coordinators. I would argue for different reasons. I think Auburn because he didn't make the right hires in the beginning. I think Clark Lee's kind of learning on the job. Harson's been a head coach a long time. Right. So to me, it's very different. Derek Mason leaving them, elevating Jeff Schmed, Schmedding. Schmedding. <laughs> I don't like that word. Okay. <laughs> um, they like Derek Mason saw the writing on the wall and got the hell out of there. And then on, on defense, they fired Bobo and then tried to hire Austin Davis, who then also got the hell out of there. Mm. So like to me, Real Auburn, quick. to me, like Auburn is off on its own. It's not even like, it's like its own conversation as usual. Yeah. It's a little, island, a little bit of an Island. Um, I don't even know yeah. how to say the, I don't even know how to say the offensive coordinator. Eric Keesaw, he was the wide receivers coach on the team. He got elevated. How do we have any, it, it's Brian. It should be Brian Harson's offense. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I don't really, I don't know what to expect. There's talk about moving parts, Auburn just in general. And I agree with, I think the same thing comes into play here with um, well, I guess more for Clark Lee, for me than um than with Auburn because it, it seems that Clark is it's slower but it seems to be making a little bit more calculated decisions like you said it seems like there's having to be some changes at at Auburn because of decisions that were made too quickly and then also people running off <laughs> um but Nick Howell Clark Lee's defensive mind I don't I don't have big questions about that I really just have questions about if Vanderbilt can continue to get or start again, getting the right kids through the door. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, which Barton Simmons is doing right now. Um, Joey Lynch is elevated to the offensive coordinator for Vanderbilt. who was the quarterback's coach last year. Uh, I'm not sure I saw a ton of development in either Mike Wright or the injured Ken Seals. Uh, Nick hard Howell, to tell with lacking all of the pieces that they right. Lack. Well, yeah, you're right about that. He meant, you mentioned Nick Howell. He will be the defensive coordinator this year. He was the defensive backs coach last year. So Clark Lee just elevating two guys from within his staff. So, also, to your point, I trust Clark Lee on defense. So I, this, I do this... too. Just Joey Lynch doesn't have enough. Having coached at Ball State, Ashland University, and St. Mary's, I just don't see how that jump. translates straight to being able to play in the or being able to coach and coordinate at that position in the SEC. But I hope I'm wrong. I there... really hope I'm wrong. His job is to decide and pick out and develop a quarterback at Vanderbilt. And if they can do that this year, they'll they'll win more than a game, maybe two. And if they do that, then there'll be progress. So far set real low. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so there you have, there's your new coordinators again, LSU, Florida. I'm not counting them, but there are nine new jobs in the SEC from a coordinator standpoint. Wanted you guys to get to know them a little bit and sort of see the ones that we think are upgrades and which ones we think are status quo and which ones we think maybe are concerning. Again, Ole Miss's defense Auburn. <laughs> those are those. There's some concerns there. I'm fascinated by the Kentucky offense. That's the one that I'm the most interested in uh, of all of them. I think that one's going to be super fascinating to watch. All right. Uh, when we come back, Seth Emerson, our Georgia Bulldogs State of the Union from the guy who covers them for the athletic. When we come back right here on Fringe Element. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Dugan is brought to you by Jasper's, your pit stop for a tasty treat or something larger than a small treat, more like a meal. Like a whole entire meal. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Like the whole entire meal and yeah, a they, drink. They're not paying us to tell people to go in there and nibble. Like no. they're, they're paying us to tell people to go into Jasper's and spend a fortune on I would all start, the delicious foods. Starting with nibbling's fine. Queso, always a good move. That's true. And it's almost Cinco de Mayo. God, I love queso and Cinco de Mayo. I, that is, yes. that is simultaneously one of the best things and one of the worst things you ever said in one sentence. Queso and Cinco de Mayo. Queso is amazing. Love queso. Cinco de Mayo. No, thanks. There's no expect. I like holidays with no expectations. Yeah, except for like uh, an hour and a half wait somewhere that's not named Jasper's. So go to Jasper's where you probably won't have to wait. I'm not saying you shouldn't go to Jasper's for Cinco de Mayo. Just so they have queso. Uh, okay. All right. Good. Jeez. So Jasper, go to Jasper's. <laughs> go to go to Jasper's because they will not appropriate your culture. <laughs> yeah, they won't. And they won't pretend like um, actually authentic Mexican even serves queso because they don't. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Oh man, it's mole. It's actually mole. It's it's mole, actually, is what they would actually serve, which would be freaking spectacular. Did you hear me say I speak Spanish? Yeah. Do you know what barbacoa is? Yeah, but that's, yeah, it's just. They got barbacoa at uh, Jasper's, I think. Yeah, they also have chorizo. Do you know what chorizo is? (laughs) I do. We're just saying, we're, we're, we've appropriated an entire continent. That's not what I meant when I said I could speak Spanish, but I do know what those mean. Habla espanol? Sí. This is terrible. Para comunicar, pero no sé. Wow, you do speak a little bit. All right. I, I'm fluent. I didn't know you were fluent in Spanish. I like to keep things, all those trips like to, to Cabo people. paid off. Um, try, try studying it at Vanderbilt, asshole. <laughs> oh man. Um, That's our first. So what are we flight. talking about? Go to Jasper's, uh, and if you're not, if you're in Nashville, go to Jasper's. Great place to watch any sporting event. Great happy hours, game room for free. Um, <laughs> that's Mexican street corn. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. It's uh, I'm done. Uh, Cerro Dolores in uh, for the the game room. It's I don't complete, want you to do that again. Completely free. <laughs> Yo hablo español un pequeño. You know, just a oh, little si. bit. Um, so it, <laughs> this is this is bad. Um, however, if you are not <laughs> listening in Nashville, what was I going to say? Go check out all of the other, other four, locations. Yes, the other four top hospitality locations in Memphis and Huntsville and Jackson, Mississippi, 13 locations across the Southeast. So make sure you check out Four Top Hospitality because they are a wonderful sponsor and they do not approve of this message. They, I'm not sure they, I can't believe they actually do approve of our messages, to be totally frank, but it's a good point. Maybe you're getting emails you don't tell me about. Go to Jasper's. Seth, good to see you, man. Welcome to the show. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. So um, we're going to begin a season here. I guess if you want to count this, the beginning of the season for college football. I know there's lots of roster management that's been going on. They've not played but, a game yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Um, how, how are you looking forward to a summer where you do not have to write, discuss, talk about the quarterback situation for Georgia? I, I, I do not accept the premise of the question. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to a summer <laughs> where we don't have to talk about uh, a bunch of narratives about Georgia. Um, what, I mean, just cause I got sick of talking about them, you know, objective journalists and all, but the narrative about 
you know, is Georgia cursed? Uh, is, you know, Kirby Smart a good coach? Um, does Kirby Smart know what he's doing when it comes to offense, to quarterbacks? I mean, they won the national championship and they won the national championship with a former walk-on as their quarterback. So I, I think to me, it validated like everything. It, it validated what I had said about Kirby Smart making the right decision with Jake Fromm and Justin Fields, despite seeming evidence to the contrary that he made the right decision for Georgia. Um, JT Daniels probably still has a better chance than Stetson Bennett of ever playing in the NFL, but they won the national championship with Stetson Bennett. That still does not change people who, uh, and it's a minority. You know, I, we, we took a survey on the athletic and I forget exactly what it was, but it was, you know, it, it's probably in the 15 to 20% of Georgia fans who still, and, but they're very vocal still maintain that like maybe if, if JT Daniels had been the starter, they would have won the sec championship and put Alabama away there or that they would have won the national championship by more points. Um, I think most sane people say, if you could go back in time, do everything the same way because they won the championship and not doing it that way risks it. I, I get the people that the, the, the one area that I could have gotten with, and I might've even favorites was to say that maybe it was better for the program if Bennett had, had gone pro so you can start the Brock Vandegrift or, or Carson Beck era because you have banked that championship you don't need to get over the hump yet um, so if you don't win as many games this year because you're starting a younger guy it's okay you didn't need to get over the hump anymore on the other hand that's not how coaches think that's not how Stetson Bennett thinks Stetson Bennett wants to play football and the coaches want to win games they want to win another championship and and clearly Georgia's best chances with Stetson Bennett it, it seems like an incredibly productive use of time to debate how they could have won the national championship instead of just appreciating it, especially for an organization that's had this only comes around every 40 years. Now, I guess the question I have just in general, not even about the quarterback situation, yeah. it, because I think when we look at who has tracked down Nick Saban, whether it was Urban Meyer beating him in 2014 at Ohio State or Coach O uh, or even Gus Malzahn's beaten him a few times, like it doesn't feel like any of them are sustainable the way Kirby Smart and Georgia might be. It, it, are all the things in place for this to continue at this level for the foreseeable future? Yeah, the recruiting, the resources, the financial commitment. Um, I mean, in the age of NIL and the transfer portal, you'll always wonder how much of a wrinkle that has thrown into things. I would, I would say that I think Alabama and Georgia are going to be on the same length there. And I would say NIL and the portal is just going to be like everything else, which is the best coaches adapt and evolve. And that's what Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are in the process of doing. I think the bigger thing, and I touched on this when I did my state of the program story, is the SEC and divisions. The benefit that Georgia has had, and I, I don't, this is, you know, Georgia has many detractors who, you know, want to get at them. And I'm addressing this later about how, you know, the whole Mel Kuyper version of, you know, if, if, Georgia, if Alabama's receivers don't go down in the SEC championship and, and national championship that Georgia doesn't win. Okay. You know, whatever, but Georgia has a clear path almost every year to the SEC championship. The, the SEC East is weaker than the West. You know, urban Meyer is not in the, is not at Florida. 
Florida has been cycling through coaches. Tennessee has been cycling through coaches. Um, Kentucky has been solid under Mark Stoops, but just solid. Um, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, you know, Missouri. Yeah. That that's not the West. That's not where you have LSU, Texas A&M, Auburn, you know, Arkansas is doing really well. And yet, you know, they're, they're, they're struggling to power through there in the West. You've got Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. Um, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a tough gauntlet and Georgia hasn't had to go through that. And I'm not saying they, they would have not won the national championship last year, but maybe they have a regular season loss that they did not in uh, 2021. Um, maybe they don't win the division in 2007 or 2018 and 2019. Um, it's harder. And the SEC, it looks like, is going to go away from divisions and they're bringing in Texas and Oklahoma. And that's going to bring some parity to the scheduling. Um, the, the SEC needs to fix scheduling because Georgia and Texas AM can't go, you know, yeah. 12 yeah. years without visiting each other's home schools but it, it's going to make Georgia's schedule harder if they don't get Vanderbilt and Missouri and South Carolina on the schedule every year I think they probably will still get South Carolina but you get my drift I oh, yeah, think yeah. that's the adjustment that's coming but Georgia with its recruiting and development coaching is, is in position to adjust to that no I, I I agree I looked at you look at their schedule this year and you kind of go well where are where's the game that's even like a single digit point spread like there's not right. one in 2022 uh so they go to south carolina spencer rattler and, and they were solid last year they go to kentucky um they go to missouri but yeah like you said is that a single digit point spread those are and then there's always florida you yeah know, that's the, probably the one site yeah. game but that and the Auburn game is at home and the West game is Mississippi state. Am I, yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. Cause I like yeah. Mississippi, I like Mississippi state to go over, but they have to play Georgia. So, yeah. So these are all, these are all, if Georgia has a bad day and that team has a good day, then it's a pretty close game and it's dicey. It's not Georgia's on upset watch the minute the game starts no. Um, Whereas if they were playing Alabama, uh, Texas A&M, you know, LSU is going to have a rebuilding year, but maybe not, you know, Ole Miss, like it's a different equation. Yeah. I I think LSU is going to be good quickly and then plateau um, like right underneath Saban. Mm -hmm. Um, You you mentioned some of the coaching and the players, obviously, I, I don't know where we, we just saw a record-breaking NFL draft performance by Georgia, record-breaking first round by the defense. So we know there's a lot of people that are leaving the, this team. There's also a boatload of talent that's returning at almost every position. But you also lose your defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning's out there at Oregon now. What What is the thing that is changing with this team that, that raises the most questions? Or I don't want to say concern because that's not even really the right word, but just – yeah, the thing that you would point to and says they, they need to figure that out first. What what is it? Is it coaching? Is it defense? Is it receivers? Like what what is it? I don't think it's coaching. I mean, Dan Lanning may do a great job at Oregon, but I mean, Kirby Smart's still the head coach, right? Um, they're promoting from within. We we still don't know whether Will Muschamp or Glenn Schumann is the play caller, but uh, Kirby is intentionally playing coy on that. 
I think for some internal political reasons, but <laughs> shocking. <laughs> yeah. But does it matter? Um, I mean, Mel Tucker left uh, after the 2018 season and Dan Lanning replaced him. I mean, it's just, this is, that's how they've become Alabama. You know, there, there'll be more focus on offensive coordinator because that's a tangible, like the other side of the ball from what the head coach's background is. And, and that is a play caller that is, that is important. And uh, they do not lose their offensive coordinator. Todd Munkin's back. Um, they do not have a new quarterback. Uh, so even on defense, they, they lost five first round picks. And that doesn't include the guy who may have been the most important one, N'Kobe Dean, who slipped to the third round. Um, you know, but on defense, I mean, are they going to be as great as they were last year? No, but if they've got a lot of talent back there and they've got some key returning guys, I mean, there's not going to be a big drop off. I mean, they, and going back to the schedule, that allows them the ramp for these younger defensive players to get experience. And by the SEC championship, if they make it there to be playing really well, um, I, I think you, you just kind of wonder how quickly the secondary will catch up because that's always the question. Um, and then the, the bigger question is then on offense is to how good is the O line? How good is the running game? Um, is the passing game as good as on paper it should be? when you have a veteran quarterback and you have not one, not two, but three tight ends that are just, and, and we're recording this. Can I say when we're recording? Yeah. This? Yeah. Go for it. yeah. Okay. We're recording this Tuesday at 1115 central time um, or not central time, Eastern time, 815 Las Vegas time, which is where I am. And at this point we have not heard about Darnell Washington Las Vegas native going in the transfer portal. So if he's coming back, he joins Brock Bowers and Eric Gilbert, Eric Gilbert, and just a, you know, I mean, that that's an, even if Darnell Washington, if one of those three gets hurt or isn't yeah, there, yeah. It's, that's, it's, that's really good. It's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. It, 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 they're, they're the, it's funny. I don't, I don't really like to, you know, compare people to Aaron Hernandez, but Brock, Brock Bowers on the field, needs to be yeah. used the way Florida and New England used Aaron Hernandez. Like he just, he they, just has to be and, used that And way. the thing is that, and I've written this, I wrote this in a tight end story that like between the three of them. Now I heard from some people saying, you know, oh, you know, Georgia's got these three tight ends, you know, they should use some three tight end sets this year. They already did. They did a lot last year. <laughs> you know, this is, it, it's not like they have to go, like back into the, the, you know, Todd Munkin and company have to conjure up a new offense to build around these guys. They've been using two tight end sets as a, basically a base. They did that more than 50% of the time. They did three tight end sets about 18% of the time. I want to say now, like, and, and I, I remember some lineups where they, they flexed out all three tight ends to the same side. Like they, <laughs> they, they were already doing that. And now they've added Eric Gilbert into that. So they're, and, and those guys are different also. It's not like just three different guys. They have yeah. different sets. You know, Brock Bowers is the guy who's built a little bit more like a fullback. Um, he's, he's stockier but faster. Uh, Darnell Washington is this huge target, a um, little bit plotting, but he's just still huge and has a great catch radius. And Eric Gilbert is kind of a little bit in between both. Um, it's, it's, it should be fun to watch. And if, if they can get some receivers that can take the top off the defense, then it can just be a hugely explosive offense. I think a lot of people 
um, that could make the case and have made the case that Georgia's the quote unquote best job in America, right? Like it's, and a lot of reasons, I think one of the reasons that I would point to why that job is maybe better than an Ohio state or an Alabama, which also are elite jobs where they actually have a lot more championships is that the, the, the crazy doesn't come out as much with Georgia fans. It doesn't feel like they, that they, as many people go full on like Ohio state or Alabama nut job, like, like, yeah. like the fringe element, which is the name of the show um, is, does that evolve and change as Georgia continues to win sec titles, win divisions, make the playoff year in and year out. Now they've got the ring. Like, does that, do you think that changes or is it just an Athens vibe that keeps everybody kind of just a little bit more chill than the crazy people? Probably the latter. I mean, you can never predict. Um, but I think you are right about your premise of Georgia fans, because I can say that having when I moved from covering South Carolina to Georgia, my my experience was they were a lot more, you know, I, I want to word this in a way of you know, <laughs> South Carolina fans were passionate, but they were very quick to criticize everyone else for their failures rather than their own. They were quicker to blame the media. You know, I felt the brunt of that. Um, the NCAA, the SEC office, you know, conspiracy thinking. And, and you have some elements of that at Georgia, but not very much. It was more like criticize the coaches, criticize the players, which sometimes it was misplaced, but that's more productive. That's a better way to get better. Like I think you saw in Tennessee, I think part of the problem has been, yeah, to blame everybody else rather than looking inward. Um, you know, in retrospect, did, did John Curry have it right uh, with trying to get Greg Schiano? I, and, and I'd have to give him credit because I thought Greg Schiano would have been a bad choice. Um, I thought Mike Leach might have been a good choice. Uh, as it turns out, Jeremy Pruitt was not a good choice. <laughs> so but but that that whole thing wouldn't have happened at Georgia. You know, they Georgia's administration just does what it's going to do. And people may complain, but they ultimately go along. And yeah, Athens has a different vibe about it. It's just a different place. And I, I think there, there will be a sense of perspective. Like I said, the, the vocal minority that's anti Stetson Bennett is a minority. Uh, it's, it's that you, you pretty much shut that faction down. Anytime you say when, like I've seen, I, I saw one website posted a, a, a tweet with us for a story link that said, uh, who should Georgia's quarterback be in 2022? And you clicked on a link and went to it and it said, who cares? We won the national championship. <laughs> that's that's awesome. know, I, I, And I think the 85% <laughs> falls on that side. Well, and it's funny though, cause it's not even just, I think you're absolutely right to pinpoint like the, the origin of the crazy, which is to, to look outward instead of inward. And I do think Tennessee has figured that out to some degree by organizing their, their chancellor and their AD. I, who knows if Josh Heupel can win anything of, of meaning there. Yeah. But you don't read about the post-game, like, interpersonal things. Right. That, like, there's no, like, shotgun fights in Athens. There's no, like, people getting teabagged in New Orleans. Like, yeah. the way Tennessee acted after Kiffin. Like, I don't – you just don't see much of that with Georgia. Georgia's on the same page. They're, Georgia's Georgia's always been aligned administration-wise. That's the, the whole that time why? I've been here. That's been – since the Michael Adams, Vince Dooley thing, they've been on the same page. Now, some would argue that they shouldn't have been aligned – that you know that the, the the alignment was wrongheaded thinking, and that Georgia was wrongheaded in being too financially conservative, which may have ultimately been the undoing of Mark Richt. But they were aligned, and then they they when they moved, they moved slowly. 
like Jeremy Pruitt first came in as defensive coordinator and started to change the culture from inside. And then that made it easier for Kirby Smart to come in. And, and they're, they, they've now got a more dynamic athletic director in Josh Brooks, but he's still aligned enough with the school president. And it, it, so Georgia is moving. Georgia always moves in a way that is very slowly and you don't realize it kind of like with their offense to relate it to that. <laughs> like you, you yeah, still get yeah. questions. You still got this perception that Georgia hasn't opened up its offense. That Georgia isn't in the 21st century with its offense. And then you look at the stats, you know, Georgia passed it 100 more times in 2021 than they did in 2017, which same number of games, both teams made it to the national championship had about the same amount of blowout wins. So that is, yeah. Does anybody know that, that they passed it that many more times? They just, they evolved very slowly. It's almost like Georgia fans have been trained to sort of a, like the, the administration has always done it this way. And the fans have therefore been trained to deal with it that way. Yeah. And also again, mix in the sort of like relaxing vibes of Athens GA. And all of a sudden yeah. you've got, you've got this sort of, again, I think it's the perfect combination of passion, commitment, but also like hands off, let them do their jobs. And it's, it's, again, it's why I think it's the best job in America. Also a great, a great place to live. Um, I, I find it, I find it interesting that the, like you, if you were to say the Georgia AD's name and ask people fans who the Georgia AD is, I bet you they could rattle off like eight other ADs in the SEC and would not be able to even name the Georgia athletic director. Other non-Georgia fans, you mean? Yeah. Non-Georgia right. fans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Possibly because he's new, but even when Greg McGarity was there, he was there for 10 years, it may have been the same thing. Yeah, they they uh, they have a way of not like making headlines, um, even though Greg McGarity talked a lot um, and Georgia fans knew who he was because he, he would be kind of a he was a little bit of a polarizing figure. Yeah. But um, you nobody can name Georgia's president's name. I mean, nobody <laughs> outside of Georgia. But he did you know he's one of the most powerful people in NCAA? He is. He's, he's like on the president's council. He's the SEC president. You know, he, he does all he's very active in athletics, but he does it all behind the scenes. That's part of the Athens culture is like, don't don't make a big name for yourself. Well, in, in a league where everything is a, a headline and a tweet and, and everything else, um, the, the, I think the over under was 11 and a half for Georgia do you are you taking the over in the regular season it doesn't mean they're going to win the SEC or the title but uh, 12 and 0 sound right again <laughs> yeah i mean honestly they look to me like an 11 and 1 team i just don't know who the one is yeah like i think i think i might i am here in las vegas and i did lose a lot of money last night um <laughs> what's but, your what what's your game of choice uh um I put down, I, I like to go to the sports book at Caesars. Okay. All right. I don't, I don't bet at home and I never bet on college games. I, I come this time of year so that there's no college games to bet. I think that's an ethical line. I will not. Okay. All right. Yeah. But betting on baseball and like NBA playoffs last night, was not a good night, but if I had to put like, say 50 bucks down, I would put it on the under, I would say Georgia has enough questions like the secondary, okay. um, you know, how dominant will the run game be that 11 and one is most likely that it, and they'll, I don't know if it would be Kentucky. I don't think it'll be South Carolina, but like Missouri, something like that. There'll be one game that Georgia just doesn't show up with its a game 
And now Georgia is the defending national champion. They're going to get everybody's best shot that there will just be one game that someone will get them. But like, I'm only saying that because they're an 11 and one team. If this was by, by looking at it, by looking at like their roster and their makeup. Um, but I don't know. I mean, they might be 12 and 0. They might be, I, you know, I also think they're good enough that they were, if they were in the West, I'd only have them down for a couple losses. Yeah, I, I would take the under in the West and the over in the East for, for yeah, sure. I think that's fair. Um, how how many stories can you tell us on the record about Jeremy Pruitt's time in Athens? Um, many. Uh, there, there, you know, there's many good ones. Uh, he was, I'll, I'll tell one positive, one negative. Positive uh, or negative. Let's start with negative. Um, he yelled at the media one time at practice. Uh, we were uh, walking out. Um, for our like 10 minute viewing and we we're going by the defensive backs and he just started yelling at us. Cause he wanted the media like out of there. Cause he was about to like go after his defensive backs for the um, like, it, it, it sounds not as bad as it like was at the time. Cause you're like, again, Athens vibe, people don't do that. Right. right. Um, and you know, later, like, I mean, he never apologized for it, but even you even had like Georgia defensive or Georgia communication staffers behind the scenes saying, I was wrong. He shouldn't have done that. Um, positive story. Uh, he, uh, I, I shared a waiting room at a uh, um, sonogram office. Both of our wives were getting sonograms around the same time. And um, he was you know, long wait. So I, he was just there with his wife and he was hanging out and he was being patient and a very normal, oh. person, you know, don't come on. Let's let's not make it. Let's not humanize him. Come on. Let's just talk about Sorry. his relationship. Let's just talk about his relationship with Mark Rick. No. Um. Uh. We, listen. We we really really appreciate it, man. Uh. I'm a craps guy. Uh. I don't normally win any money, but it's a lot of fun. So. Uh. I I do not gamble on baseball. That just seems that seems too. It's, difficult. it's random. It's the only reason difficult. we do it is that it you know it, it's fun to sit down and just kind of watch and yeah yep. we bet very small sums like. $10, $15 a game, that kind of stuff, just to, to have fun. It's the way to do it, man. It's the way to do yeah. it. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy your trip. Safe travels back. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks. Thanks, man. That was Seth Emerson of The Athletic with the Georgia State of the Union. And I thought it was fascinating just the, the way he describes like you and I've talked a lot about this, Aaron, where Georgia is like the best job in America, in America potentially because they have all the tools and resources to win national championships and to be as good as Georgia is right now. But they don't have like that little extra fringe element of fans that are, which is where the name comes from, actually, uh, that that little tiny sliver of fans that end up in shotgun fights and uh, all the other garbage that comes along with it. The, the bad side of it just means more. Um, Georgia doesn't seem to have that. and whether it's the alignment from the administration or just like the, the Athens is a chill place or like Georgia's just, the fans are just cooler. Like, I don't know. Everyone's just a little bit more relaxed and sort of like still a lot of pressure to win, but like, it's just a little different in Georgia than everywhere else in the SEC, which I kind of enjoy. So I wonder if there's just more of their fan base that has memories of struggling yeah, <laughs> than like, you know, if you spend your whole life, not really struggling, then all of a sudden you're not, uh, kill in the game or you're not winning everything. Those are the ones that go crazy. I think the, the ones that can appreciate wins versus losses seem to be a little more sane. 
I, I would agree, but normally that comes with a team that's like not expected to win national titles, like Kentucky football. Yeah. Right? Like, the, I mean, for normally, sure them, but there's probably right. another level in between. Like, yeah, I would, it's I, really, and I think Seth did a good enough job explaining it. Like, there's just sort of an expectation that we're not going to like mess with your, it's almost like the opposite of Auburn. Like there's yeah. an ex, there's an expectation God. at Georgia that we're just going to let you do your jobs because you're the professionals. We're, we're going to be angry about whatever does or doesn't happen, but like your job is to do the job and then we'll get angry. Whereas like Tennessee fans just, and this is what Seth said, like they just are going to make it an excuse and it's everyone else's fault. It's never our fault. It's always someone else's fault. We never did anything wrong. It's always Dan Wolken. It's it's somebody else. It's the national media. It's the SEC office. It's the officials. It's Lane Kiffin. It's always somebody else's fault. It's never our fault. Maybe Georgia just has like something else to live for. <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm just wow. saying, I can say that I live in. On that note, we are done. Yes, <laughs> there's not done. as much going on in Alabama and everyone that lives in Alabama knows that. So I'm well, not what, saying anything. What's the excuse for all the people in Nashville then who act like a fool when their team doesn't win? And I'm not talking about Vandy. I'm talking about Alabama and Tennessee fans in Nashville. They got stuff to do. Well, at one point they didn't when they yeah. lived in Alabama. Okay, wow. we should get off. Wow, you're done. <laughs> you're done. Go back to the doctor. Uh, her name's Erin Dugan. My name's Braden Gall. You can follow us on the Twitters. Make sure you go to the Instagram and the YouTube page as well. Special thanks to Seth Emerson for hanging out. And, of course, special thanks to our title sponsor, Jaspers. Check out all of Four Top Hospitalities. Great locations across the Southeast. They will give you a great unappropriated place to eat a wonderful meal for aaron my, my name is brayden thank you guys all for listening mercifully this show is over and it has been fringe element on the 440 sports network that one's gonna have an afterbite